Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. We've reached the climax of the book of Mark. We're going to talk about the resurrection. The resurrection, Mark 16, 1 to 8. And speaking of the resurrection, it's been a tough week. A lot of us were, well, we all were just shocked last Sunday night to find out that Scott died a tragic death. Um, we've had far too many funerals this year. Deep, everybody here has been deeply impacted by, by funerals and a lot of, of trials. And it's hard, and yet, as you, if you were at the funeral, you know we have hope. We have hope because we believe God is going to make it all right. We believe that we're going to see our loved ones again. In fact, Janice, if you, wow, I wish we had it on tape what she shared. She shared about her hope that she has. She shared about uh, Scott, and and only because the only way she could have done that is she has hope. She has hope, and, uh, you know, but what's the basis for our hope? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the whole foundation of our faith, of our hope, this life, the life to come, It's all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship today and the team that put that together and preparing our hearts for your word. We thank you for bringing so many people through a shocking week, especially Janice and the family. We pray for your mercy and grace for them. And we pray for your mercy and grace now to open your word to us to our hearts and to our minds through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's pick up the passage here. Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on the way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Okay, so we'll start off with the first three verses here. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Once again, the ladies, we talked about this last week. The ladies were the last ones at the cross, the first ones at the tomb, and as a result, they were the first ones to witness the resurrection, which we know from the other gospel accounts. They were first ones to witness not just the empty tomb, but also we'll see the ladies got to see Jesus, uh, other, other gospel accounts. Who is going to move the stone? They're, they're asking, who's going to move the stone? Because these large stones, rocks, boulders, were used to seal the tombs at this time. And it was to protect the body from wild animals and from grave robbers. Both were a very big problem. 
It wasn't unusual for people to go in and, and take the body out and put another body in because they didn't want to have to dig out another tomb. So uh, there's, a, there's a reason for it, but it also not just protected the body, but here we see it protecting the truth of the resurrection. It protected the truth of the resurrection. That stone was, was proof that there was a resurrection. And the same with the soldiers. From the other gospel accounts, we know soldiers were sent to guard the tomb. They were also protecting the truth of the resurrection. There couldn't be anything. Well, there was no stone there. The body could be stolen. There was guards, the whole thing. It was protecting the truth of the resurrection. Verse 4, they worried about the stone, but God already took care of the stone. We see in verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. God had already taken away taken away the stone. He had rolled it away, taken care of that problem. The guards had already woken up from their, their fainting spell and they had run off. We know that from the other accounts of the, uh, the gospel. We, the other accounts of the gospel bring out uh, more details. They, you put them all together. It's an amazing story. Matthew 28 says that as the ro- stone was rolled away, God sent a powerful earthquake and the angels were there. But remember something. Mark is writing to the Romans. And the Romans uh, were known for just the facts. You remember Dragnet? Just the facts, ma'am, right? That's the Romans. They just want the facts, the bare bones facts. The same uh, in verse 5 with, with the angel. Look what it says in the, with, with verse 5. They just bare bones. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. So we see this young man. Matthew 28 says it was an angel, right? Luke says there were two angels. Are they contradictions? No. Mark is writing to the Romans. He focuses on just the facts. You know, true to form, he's a man of few words. He assumes we're going to know it was an angel, right? Who else would be sitting in an empty tomb, you know, with resurrection? And he only mentions one angel who does the talking. Same thing, remember we looked at blind Bartimaeus? Well, we know blind Bartimaeus had another guy with him that Jesus healed, but Mark only mentions the guy who does the talking. He's real succinct, direct. He's writing to the Romans. Remember that. And uh, he sees this young man. He's obviously an angel. We know that from the other accounts, too. And angels appear in many different forms in Scripture, uh, including the human shape. They are shapeshifters. Those who are fringe fans know what I'm talking about. Uh, they, they're shapeshifters there. Uh, and it scared them. It scared them. They, it's like seeing a ghost right here. And, but the angel says in verse 6, Memorize this one. It's classic. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. He reassures them. You're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He has risen. He has risen. Exclamation point. He has risen. The most hope-filled words ever spoken. The most hope-filled words ever spoken. He has risen. It's the basis of our hope. It's the reason why we can go to a funeral and have a celebration of a life. As sad as we are, as shocked as we are, as upset as we are. I was talking with a couple of guys from the church afterward. And and we were saying how different a Christian funeral is when you know the person knows Christ. How different it is. Yeah, we're sad. Yes, we grieve. Yes, we miss the people. No, we're not happy about it, but we can still celebrate because, because of the hope that we had. And Jesus is interesting. They're looking for this body, Jesus' body, right? They're going to take care of the body. But Jesus had told them, the disciples and the ladies here, many times that he was going to rise from the dead. And yet, here they are looking for a dead body. What's that all about? 
They loved Jesus. These women loved Jesus. They were last at the cross, first at the tomb, right? But yet they hadn't come to a full faith yet. They're like each one of us. We go through the same process. We're drawn to Jesus. Remember that? You're drawn to Jesus, his life, his teachings. There's something different. You can see something different in you know, the people in, the, you know, in, in churches. You can see it. But we still don't really understand who he is or what he did for us or the power he has. And then the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the power of the resurrected Jesus. And when that happens, when he, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the power of the resurrected Jesus, that's when we put our faith in him. And many of you remember that time when that happened, when your, our eyes and hearts were truly open. And some of you are just coming to that place. The Holy Spirit will show us. And then, then the, the angel says, Go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They say, Go tell his disciples, meet me in Galilee. There you will see him just like he said. Many, many times he had said it. They didn't get it either, right? So what did the ladies do? Verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They freaked out. They were trembling. They were bewildered. They ran. They froze up. They didn't tell anyone at first. Who's going to believe us anyway? You know, we're not even sure of what happened, what we saw. Nobody's going to believe us. They didn't tell anyone at first, but then they got over their shock and they told the disciples. Look at verse 9. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country, road to Emmaus. Uh, These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Jesus sure knows how to pick them, doesn't he? Couldn't he have picked better 12 dodos than the ones he picked, right? But uh, we're all, this is us, right? It's all of us. Um, Okay, so here's the thing. This, what I just read you, this passage 9 through 14 and actually to the end of Mark here through verse 20 is probably a later edition. It's probably a later edition. We'll talk about that a little bit later here and next week. But it does give the basic summary of what has happened from the other other Gospels. It gives us a pretty good summary of what happened. After this, Jesus did appear to Mary and the different ladies and and the disciples. It gives us a good picture of that. Um, The bottom line is this, that the ladies finally do tell the disciples. We know this from the other Gospel accounts, but they don't believe them. They're just a bunch of hysterical women, right? So he has to appear to them, to the disciples himself finally, and he says, get your butts to Galilee like I told you. And they do. Uh, John 20 to 21. Now, I want to get back to where Mark actually ended the book. The book of Mark actually ends at verse 8. 9 through 20 is the later edition. We, we, we know that. Uh, once again, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, Mark at verse 8, it ends where Mark tells the readers that Jesus is alive. He tells the Roman readers, Jesus is alive, and then the book of Mark comes to a screeching halt. That's it. The tomb is empty, the angel says he's alive, and that's enough for a Roman. 
That's enough for the Roman culture. That's enough for them. The Holy Spirit leads him to end the gospel account right there. The resurrection. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. That's where it ends. And then we have to, if we want to see the rest of it, we have to go to Matthew, Luke, and John for the rest of the post-resurrection story. And that's why someone felt the need, years later, this wasn't written by Mark, to add in verses 9 to 20. But we have very old manuscripts from the book of Mark that don't have the, the, the oldest, most reliable manuscripts don't have verses 9 to 20. Does that make it bad? No, it's just not scripture. 9 through 20 is not scripture. But the, the important thing to understand is most of 9 through 20 we can find in the other gospel accounts. So it's not bad. We're gonna, I'm going to focus on that next week, okay? Uh, but, but, it's, but it's not in the original. Mark just ends with a fact of the resurrection. The fact of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit knew that's what would convince the Roman readers. The Holy Spirit knew that was all they needed to hear. And he stopped. The Apostle Paul, also writing to the Romans, tells them and us that we can know without a doubt that Jesus was the Son of God because of the fact, this fact of the resurrection. Paul focuses on the same thing with them, the same fact. He says that Jesus is the Son of God because of this fact, the resurrection. In fact, let's look at Romans. I'm gonna, we're going to take a little hop over to Romans here. In Romans 1, 1 through 4, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and through the spirit and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord so we see that right where mark leaves off the resurrection paul picks up writing to the church in rome and to the gentiles in rome and he says that we he talks about prophecy first of all he said the prophets told us exactly what the christ would do how he would live how he would die and how he would resurrect that's how we know that jesus is the son of god because he fulfilled Scripture, And now he didn't even fill uh, the prophecies, but he is also a proof in this way, verses 3 and 4, regarding his son who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. That, that's the proof. The resurrection is the proof. Mark ends with it. Paul picks up with it, writing to the Romans. The resurrection is the proof of Jesus Christ, who he claimed to be, and that he really died for our sins. His resurrection is a proof of that. That he was the Son of God, and that he really died for our sins. How can we really know he was the Son of God? Because he came back from the dead. How do we know he really did something for our sins? Because he came back from the dead. If, if he says, what if I say, oh, I'm going to die for all of you, and, and by dying for you, you're going to all be cured of everything you, every disease you have. And I die. What are you going to be thinking? Was that true or not? Is it true that he did something for me or not? Right? But what if I said I'm going to die and come back alive after three days? Then you're going to be like, whoa. That I, we can trust what he said because he did the impossible. 
The completely impossible. That's why we can trust Jesus was really his son. That's why we can trust his words. That's why we can trust that his words are true, that his death really did accomplish our forgiveness and our getting a brand new life. We can trust him because he rose from the dead. No one else has ever done that. No other faith system or, or religion has ever done that. No, we don't have a religion. We have a relationship. We know that. But listen, Buddha is dead. Gone. Muhammad is still dead. He's still in the grave. Joseph Smith started the Mormons, never came back again. They're all gone. They're dead. They never came back alive. That's the difference. Jesus Christ proved, proved he is the one and only son. I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He proved it. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He proved it. The only reason I'm standing here is because Jesus came back alive. If he didn't come back alive, I'd be home waiting for the football game. It's because he proved it. Why do we fight these spiritual battles? Why do we trust in Jesus? Because he rose from the dead. He proved he was the son of God. He proved he took our sins away by coming back from the dead. And it's a historical fact. We've been over this many, many times. It's a historical fact. Even his greatest enemies of that day and even today can't, don't, they, don't even, they didn't even try to deny the resurrection. They just said, Does it, we're not going to accept him. It's a fact, a historical fact. Jesus' resurrection. And it's also a picture, not only is it prophecy and proof, but it's also a picture, a picture of our own spiritual resurrection and our own physical resurrection someday. We've already been, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been spiritually resurrected, and someday you're going to be physically resurrected. After you die, we're going to all get the new body you know, from Jesus. Now, his death is our death. His burial is our burial. We've been talking about this. If you haven't been here, get the CDs, listen to the podcast. His resurrection is also our resurrection. It's ours. It's a picture of how we have been resurrected and how we can have a new life in Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 1-4 says this. Here's the picture. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin. How can we live in any, any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in the Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's a picture of our resurrection. His death is our death. His burial is our burial. His resurrection, same thing. We, and because of that, we may, notice the word may there, we may live a new life. It doesn't say you're going to definitely live it. It just says it's possible. It's possible. And then Paul goes on to tell us how it's possible. When we talked about that last week, I'm going to review it a little bit today. He talked about the NBA. And we talked about joining God's NBA Know, believe, act. I know there's a silent K, but it doesn't fit my, my little letters there, okay? So, uh, but know, believe, and act on the truth, our new life in Jesus Christ. That's what, that's, this is what Paul goes on to say. We have to know what God has done for us. Romans 6.6, 6, 
Romans 6, 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We know that our old self, our old sinful self, was crucified, that it was killed, that it's dead. But so many of us don't fully realize it. And that's why we may live a new life, but unless we really know this fact, we won't live a new life. It's very important that we fully realize it. If we don't, it will hurt us and even kill us spiritually. If we don't understand this vital, vital truth. Do you know what the Romans, what, and Paul is using a picture here. Paul's using a picture when he talks about who will rescue me in Romans here from this body of death. You know, you know the verses I'm talking about, who will rescue me from this body of death. What the Romans would do is they would take a criminal, and if they really wanted to torture him, if they, they wanted to, the crucifixion was horrible, but if they wanted to make it even longer, they would take a dead body and, and chain it to this criminal, to this person, to you. They would chain the dead body to the person's back. And then that person was stuck with this dead body on them. And guess what happened? That body started to rot. And as that body rotted, what did it do to the living person? Rotted them too. De- living decomposing is what it happened. The Romans were experts at torture. They knew how to kill. And that's what they did. And what Paul talks about, who will rescue me from this body of death, what he's talking about is that very thing that Jesus broke the chains. Jesus took that rotting body off of us. Jesus took that, that dead body and buried it for us. That's the picture. And we have to know that, that we're dead. That, that that old self is dead. And not only do we have to know it, but we have to really believe it. And that, once again, reviewing last week, but I'm going a little deeper this time. In Romans 6, 11, it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourself. The word count, some of you have the older version, uh, King James, reckon. It means to believe it. It means to put your faith in that fact, to, to, to believe it. Vital, vital, vital to really believe it. It's very, that, that, that old self is dead, that it's been buried, that it's been, been, been done away with, it's, it's gone. Uh, one of my favorite books, All Quiet on the Western Front. This guy is a German soldier and one of his friends is wounded and, and he, he picks the, the, the wounded buddy up and he's taking him back to the hospital behind the lines and he's carrying him, carrying him with this heavy gun. He's talking to him the whole way and carrying him and talking to him, carrying him. He gets back to the hospital after all this long carrying, you know, exhausted. He's just exhausted. He puts the guy down and, and the, the, remember the doctor says, why are you carrying a dead body? Because as he was carrying him, a sniper had shot at this guy and hit his friend and killed him. And he didn't know it. He's carrying this dead body, talking to this dead body, treating him like he's alive. Oh, tragic, but also crazy to carry a dead body around. But that's exactly what we do spiritually. So many of us are still carrying around our old friend. We're still carrying around this old friend, but it's not really a friend. It's our old sinful self. Because we are still in bondage to something. The world calls it addictions, but God's word calls it besetting sin. Besetting sin that we're responsible for. We are responsible for it. And what, he's, what Paul is saying is to believe it is we have to put it down. 
Put down that body. We have the power. God promises us we have the power. And if something is too strong, we know we got to get help from other Christians. We get other Christians come along and encourage each other, encourage one another. That's what we help each other do. We help each other with these addictions and, and these besetting sins. We have the power. If you need help, talk to me. Talk to someone here. We'll get you connected with someone because we, whatever you struggle with, if I'm not having a struggle with it, I know 10 other people that have. There's nothing that you're going through that you don't need help with that someone here can't help you with, or a Christian counselor can't help you with, but we, but, but we have the power, we have the spiritual power to deal with these besetting sins, to put down that dead body. So we have to know it, we have to believe it, and the third key is we have to act on the truth. No believe, NBA, no believe, act. Very, very important that we act on the truth. Uh, verse 13, once again, we talked about last week, going to go a little deeper here. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. We have to act on what we know and believe. Very, very important. So many times we put our faith in Jesus and then we don't live by that faith. We don't achieve our freedom in Christ because we don't live it out. It, it, we, instead, we, we, don't, we don't act on it. On the power we have, the truth that we have. We don't, by faith, live it. Too often, you know what we do? We try to keep that old self alive. I call it CPR on a dead man. I've told this story before. We were, uh, our youth group was in a trip. We were in Illinois at the time, and we went to this water park, and I had the youth group. We're all in the water, and all of a sudden, some one of the kids freaked out and said, I stepped on somebody. And uh, sure enough, there was somebody had was in the water, under the water, on the bottom. And it was all muddy. You couldn't see. It was a very unsafe place. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But so we, they, so we grabbed the lifeguard and they pulled the, the, this person out of the water. And, and they started all doing this CPR on this, this body. And uh, when you really see CPR, it's not the doll. You know, it's, it's a pretty horrendous experience, let me tell you. And they're doing the CPR, doing the CPR. And they couldn't... I think I felt the pulse. No, I didn't. And they're going crazy and everyone going crazy. Police come. Turned out the person was long dead. They had drowned hours before. Uh, was drinking and diving and broke the neck and in the muddy water they didn't see it. And so these people had been doing CPR on a dead person. It was just traumatic. But we do the same thing spiritually. I'll bet some of us did that just this week. CPR on the dead man. We go back to that old self. We don't realize that we can never enjoy our old life again. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, you can never, I promise you, you can never enjoy sin the same way again. You never really did enjoy it. You were in bondage to it. Diminishing returns. It was killing you then. But now as a Christian, we can never enjoy that old life, the old sins again. Now they're disgusting. What? I thought this was great. I was that, or I did that, or I picked that over Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, we can still dig up the body. We can still pull it out of the water. We have to go back into the river where we were baptized, right? Where we left our old self. 
Baptism, picture, what happened? We can still pull that old dead body out of the water and, and we can try to perform CPR on that old body, right? We do it. We might even get a little quick pulse. That's what happens. You get that little quick pulse, that momentary thrill, right? But what happens after that? Then we feel the emptiness. Then we feel that old shame coming back again. Then we feel grieving in our spirit. Because why? Because we've grieved the Holy Spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then we feel a distance. We feel the wall going up again. We put the bricks up again between us and God with that sin. And we have to, until we go and confess and repent that, repent of that. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will purify us from all righteousness. Until we do that, 1 John 1, 9, until we do that and we get back into fellowship, we just feel like garbage. Why? Because we are handling a dead body. And, and, And that's, we can't enjoy it the same ever again. We never, we, we can't go back to it because we are dead to sin but alive to Christ. Do you know that, believe that, and act on that? Vital to understand. How did you do this week? We introduced this last week, the NBA. What area of our life do we need to take that next spiritual step, knowing, believing, acting on it? We all have the power to live this new life in Jesus Christ. We have the power because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are we living out that resurrection power? What step are we stuck on? What area of our life are we stuck on? Knowing, believing, and acting. And, and it, it helps to just know. I know. Just, just, just claim it out loud. God, I know I'm dead to that sin. I believe it. I'm not going to act on it. There's a spiritual power that we have when we act on what we believe. It's powerful and it gets easier every time. And we fall less and less. And we confess quicker and quicker. It's that lifelong process of transformation are we sharing this power with other people are we sharing the power of the gospel the good news romans romans 1 16 and 17 i am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god for the salvation of everyone who believes first for the jew then for the gentile for in the gospel a righteousness from god is revealed god has revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's by faith from first to last. First to last. Salvation to heaven. It's all faith. First to last. Are we sharing that power? Have you received the power? Have you received Jesus Christ's resurrection power by faith? By faith. Romans 10, 9, and 10. I'm going to wrap up with this one. We're sticking in Romans here. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have the peace and joy in this life? Do you have the hope for the next Life, the hope for the next life. What will your funeral be like? Let's ask ourselves, what will our funeral be like? What will it be like? I'll tell you what it can be. It can be a celebration. Sad, 
But hope, like we saw yesterday, because you know why it will be? Because we will know where you are. That's why. We'll know where you are. We'll know that you just stepped away from this life with all its trials and garbage. And who's going to miss that, right? We miss those people, but I guarantee you they don't miss, they don't miss being here. We're going to step away from that life with all its trials into an eternity with Jesus Christ. And it's something we can't even imagine. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even imagine it. Like the song says, I can only imagine. We can't even imagine it. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, do you have that hope of heaven? Do you have the peace and joy for life here? In spite of all the trials and struggles and battles we have to fight, do you have the peace and joy? Have you received the resurrection power of Jesus Christ by putting your faith in him? You can have it right now. This very moment, by putting your faith in Jesus, the prayer of faith, God, please forgive me. Every sin I've ever committed, every wrong thing I've ever done, every, anything that goes against your will for my life, your perfect will for me. Every spiritual law I've ever broken, please forgive me because I repent. I'm turning away. I want to kill that old life. I want it to die with Jesus on the cross. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. your son who died for me and rose from the dead to prove he was your son. I put my faith, complete trust in him. I'm giving my life to Jesus. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, or if you do pray that prayer of faith, something radical has just happened. Inside of you, you have died. Your old self, sinful self, self in rebellion against God has died, been buried, and you have been resurrected as a brand new person. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation.
The old has gone, the new has come. You have come alive as a brand new person. You've been born again as a new creation in Christ. And you're going to be in for the shock of your life because there's been a radical change in your spiritual DNA. Your life will never be the same. You now have a relationship with God as your father. I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've prayed that prayer of faith and given your life to God. Maybe you came with a friend or family member. Maybe you tell me on the way out or felt a card or email, text. Let, let somebody know because we're going to be excited. Oh, nothing makes us more excited. But also we want to encourage you and help you grow in your new faith. For those of us who already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? We know we're saved by faith, but are we living by faith? Is it an area of a life that we need to take before God's throne and, and really get it Accept the truth to know it and believe it and act on it. Something that's keeping us from moving forward spiritually, reaching our potential in Christ. Blocking our fellowship and our intimacy with Jesus, which is the main thing that it hurts. Something that in our life we keep going back to. Maybe there's a lot, a lot of things that we keep going back to trying to find fulfillment in them or fill that aching hole in our heart with or deal with stress or worry or anger by by turning to that old stronghold in our life. Trying to pump that old body to just get a quick pulse and every time we do it, it's less thrill and less thrill and pretty soon it's no thrill, it's just bondage. Will you pray, God, please help me to take the step to know, to believe, to act, to have victory in this area of life by your mercy and grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And whatever it takes, I want to break this chain. No matter who I have to tell, who I have to go talk to, who I have to be prayed with, whatever it takes. Father, I pray that every one of us would know deep intimacy with you, that nothing would block that intimacy, that we wouldn't let the lies of these old bondages and this old self and the old garbage, let that, the false fulfillment get in the way of true fulfillment, the true peace and joy and hope that we have in Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.